This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. All right, rocking and rolling on a Thursday, big Thursday night here on Sports Talk. Welcome, welcome, one and all. Phil Kornblut, Pat Daniel, from our studios in downtown Columbia at The Point Radio. Chris Bergen on the road with the Coastal Carolina basketball team from Statesboro, Georgia. I believe he'll be joining us for a few minutes leading up to his broadcast tonight as the Shauna Clears take on the Eagles of Georgia Southern. Busy day, busy day. A lot of things happening nationally. A lot of NCAA stuff again. Another case where the NCAA is losing. They're the biggest group of losers that you could ever imagine. I mean, everything that they have done over all these years being shot down uh, left and right. We'll touch on that coming up in a little bit. Word from South Carolina this afternoon. Miles Studi going to be out two to three weeks with a shoulder injury he suffered the other night. So that's a blow to the Gamecocks as they go to Arkansas and a guy that's a veteran and a guy that can hit the outside shot. He's had his ups and downs. He hasn't been the purest of outside shooters this year, kind of up and down for him. But still, big hole there for the Gamecocks, big loss from the standpoint of minutes that he eats up and the things that he brings to the team. So they'll have to get by without him. That means he will not be around for Kentucky next Tuesday night either. So the Gamecocks going to have to make do with uh, the others and hope that they can fill in that gap. Um, let's go ahead and welcome in Chris Bergen, who is courtside in Statesboro, Georgia, getting ready for Coastal Carolina and Georgia Southern tonight. Let me mention our phone number, 888-898-2525. South Carolina Education Lottery, lucky number for you. As we'll welcome your phone calls along with Mike Morgan and Ben Portnoy tonight. Good evening, Chris. Good evening, guys. Hope things are well in Columbia, where we will actually be here in about five or six hours tonight. We're going to leave here from Statesboro after the game, drive to uh, Columbia, spend the night, and then head up to Boone, try and get up the mountain while it snows tomorrow. Wow. So I'm, I'm excited. I am so excited. Like a kid in the candy store when I saw the forecast supposed to be snow in like seven degrees. Ought to be a lot of fun this weekend up in the mountains. But <laughs> interesting one here tonight for sure. And by the way, I think you're underselling how valuable Miles Studi has been to the team. I mean, percentage-wise, he's their best three-point shooter at 39%, third-leading score. I mean, that, that that's, that's a significant blow in my mind to them, especially considering the way Lamont Paris likes to play that offense where three, the three-point shot is a critical aspect of what they do. And for him to get hurt on a foul, which turned out to be a flagrant one, that's even more upsetting, you would think, from a Gamecock perspective that he got hurt on a foul call and he's going to have to sit out a couple of weeks. But, yeah, that's going to be a big absence for them for sure. Yeah, I mean, I know he's important to the team. Uh, and, and, again, not having him, um, you'd much rather have him than not have him for a, a variety of reasons. Uh, and he does give them the, uh, you know, a, another uh, weapon from the outside. But um, 
I think he has been. I'm just looking here at his numbers. Like, uh, let's see, against Missouri. Let's see, I don't. Against Missouri, he was two for five. O for three at Alabama. Uh, three for five against Mississippi State. These are all three pointers. Four for nine against uh, Florida A and M. Um, so yeah, I, I think um, you're probably right. I probably maybe undersold that a little bit. And but I mean, it's not a. It's not a, a a loss that they cannot overcome with uh, you know somebody off their bench. They you know they've been starting um, Murray Boyles and bringing Wright in off the bench. So my guess is they could bring Stephen Clark back into the lineup if they wanted to go bigger or if they want to go smaller. They could go with Wright uh, and replace him that way. And and Wright gives you another guy that can shoot the three and has hit some big shots for them. Yeah, and I think that's the way I would go. I would actually go with Jacoby Wright and insert him in place of Miles Studio because he also gives you another perimeter defender, and uh, I think he adds that aspect of being able to shoot the basketball and he can handle the team. I think that's probably the way you go, and then you, you can still go with Stephen Clark, bring him off the bench, and stick him in there with, B, what do they call him, BBV? I think his uh, yeah. Bosman's Verdonk is his, his initials now is what they call him. But, yeah, I think he can go that route and then bring Josh Gray in as well. But I, I don't think they need to continue to go big. I, I would go with Jacoby Wright, but we'll see how they handle things, especially against Arkansas, a team that's going to put a lot of pressure on you at their place on Saturday. And, guys, one quick note there, a big difference to point out. Miles Stute is 6'6", while Wright is 6'2". So you got to think we hear all the time Coach Paris talk about how his team is defensive first before offense. Well, that's a lot of size to have out on the perimeter to guard big guards on other teams that now you'll be without. Yeah. I mentioned the NCAA and the continuing legal problems. The U.S. Department of Justice has joined the Attorney General of Ohio and 10 other states in a lawsuit against the NCAA that would allow for players to transfer more than once without penalty. So now you know the NCAA... First, when all this happened, said, no, you're going to be penalized if you transferred more than once, if it wasn't a grad transfer. Then they caught so much flack, and I think they had a judge jump on them about that as well. So they dropped that for this year. That's why you're able to see some players uh, transfer more than once and retain their eligibility. Now, you know, they are trying to make this a permanent deal. They're trying to make this a permanent deal. And this is where I go back, guys, by saying, how are they going to reel anything in? We keep hearing coaches and uh, administrators and others talk about they need guardrails. They need to reel some stuff in. But every time they try to put something in place, a court shoots it down. They find themselves caught up in a lawsuit or a decision that shoots it down. So until they get antitrust protection, because like, you know, I guess the professional leagues they have contracts with their players, and I guess those players are employees, but the colleges are so hesitant to get to the point where the athletes are considered employees. But I don't know how you can get around them not being employees yet have the protections and the limitations that the pro leagues are able to have. How do you make that work? The only thing you can do, Phil, is they're going to have to be employees, and you'll have to sign contracts, and they'll have to be held to those contracts. I mean, if the NCAA really wants to put some teeth in this and throw it right back at the courts, just go to the example that came out today about the Miami player. I think he's a tight end who has just announced he is coming back for his ninth. That's right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. He's coming back for his ninth year of college athletics. 
If that's not the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, I'll throw another one at you, and I'll see it tonight. We've got a situation here in Georgia Southern, young man named uh, Malik Tidwell. He is the first of any of his kind. He is playing on his fifth team in his fifth eligible season of college basketball. It's the first time that's ever happened in D1. So he's played at five different schools in five years, including Georgia Southern here. Those are two not extreme examples. They're ridiculous examples, and it's not what college athletics, whether you want to pay the kids or not, it's not what it was meant to be. I mean, if they want to continue to try and tell us these are student athletes, tell me how many degrees the kid at Miami has gotten since he's been there eight years and about to play his ninth, and how many hours of credit does Malik Tidwell have from going to four different and now five different colleges in five years? Well, I would hope the dude at Miami's got at least one. <laughs> but it is Miami. He's a doctor right now, shouldn't he? That's right. This, this guy could, you know, he could do brain surgery and, uh, and and catch a touchdown pass for you on the same weekend. Yeah, but you know, we've got to stop living in the past, people like you and me. We've got to stop living in the past because sitting there and saying what it was supposed to be just doesn't carry water anymore. That's not a winnable argument. What it was supposed to be is no longer. When it comes to athletics, what it was supposed to be is no longer. It's a different era. It's a different mindset. I'm still not sure how we got here in such a short amount of time, how we went from one way to this way. But this is what the colleges have pursued now, starting with the NIL and the connection with the transfer portal, John, all at the same time. And it's all about the competition and the colleges under self-imposed pressure, believing that if we don't do it this way, well, the school down the street's going to do it that way and we're going to fall behind. We're not going to be competitive. If we don't compete in the NIL space and if we don't recruit heavily in the portal, we're not going to be able to be competitive. That is the mindset of pretty much everybody. About the only exception to be quite honest with you, that I can think of, maybe there are others, is Clemson, in that they don't participate actively right. in the portal. Now, they do participate, of course, on the NIL side, but they, they don't, um, they're not flamboyant about it at Clemson. You know, you don't, you don't hear a lot of big figures being tossed around. You don't um, hear a lot of noise about what they're doing in the NIL space. But they definitely aren't participating and going after players in the portal. And I doubt they ever will as long as Dabo Sweeney is, is calling the shots and as long as they remain viable as a football power. Now, rebounding next year, 2024, I should say, rebounding this year, next season, 2024, uh, is going to be crucial for Dabo Sweeney. This, you could say, kind of falls in line with, let me think if I get the year right, Pat, help me out, maybe 2011 after they lost to South Carolina in 2010, and they did go and win the ACC and beat Virginia Tech, if I've got my years right. Help me out. Um, But my point is, there was, you know, growing dissatisfaction with Sweeney at that time. He was losing to South Carolina. Um, They weren't going to major bowls. They weren't winning big. And he came through that fire. And he made them what they are now. Now, I think there's a little bit of a different level of fire underneath them in that since winning the national championship, both in terms of the polls, 
both in terms of what they've done on the field, they've regressed. And so now it's like maybe his biggest challenge since then to get Clemson back to where they're competing for the national championship in a playoff form, which will be a little bit easier because, of course, there's more teams going to the playoffs this year. That's why I think this year might be as crucial as one of those years that he was dealing with early in his career when there was some doubt as to whether or not he was really going to make it as Clemson's head coach. All right, so I'll concede that everything you just said is is perfectly correct. All right, if that is the case and we need to move forward, then let's treat college athletics as a job because the kid at Miami clearly is. He's playing there for nine years now. He doesn't have any designs on wanting to get out, it appears. He wants to stay as long as possible, so let's make it a job. Let's go ahead and pay them. Make them employees, and then the NCAA can say, here's what we're doing. We'll put you on the contract, and here's how we're going. If we're going to get into the new era, let's let's get rid of the ridiculous label of student athletes. Let's make them all professional athletes. We'll pay them directly. They're employees of the school, and they go out and represent the university in whatever sport they choose to play for however long they want to play. Hmm. Because clearly, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I think it Would you it make them go to ridiculous. class? Would they have to take classes? <laughs> no. I don't see why. Are they taking classes now? I'll, I'll use well, the, I hate supposedly. to pick on the young man, but he's a, he's a perfect example. How many classes do you think Malik Tidwell's had transfer in four years to come here to Georgia Southern now playing five years to play five? Well, I would I, hope I he's going to some. I mean, under the current rules, which are still in effect, I mean, we do have rules that are in effect. You do have to go to class. You do have to maintain right. a certain GPA. You do have to pass a certain number of hours. You do have to be making progress towards a degree, blah, 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 to be eligible to play. That seems to be uh, that seems to have been swept under the rug as far as attention. Exactly. Nobody really pays attention to that stuff anymore. You know, the NIL dollars, your TikTok followers, all of that has um, trumped uh, anything else related to academics. Yes, I know the NCAA puts out their APR report and the schools put out their APR standings and their number of graduates and all that sort of stuff and and that's all well and good but i mean let's face it that is not what people are paying for they're paying for w's they're not paying for diplomas anymore you know it used to make no. them feel good that a guy got a diploma uh, after being recruited and coming through on scholarship and you help pay for that scholarship and you help pay for that housing and you help pay for feeding uh, that individual uh, but now you know it's it's a whole different it's a whole different world as I see it. No, others may disagree, Pat. I do think a lot of Clemson fans might care about that just because we, we want to talk about Dabo Sweeney's reluctance to really buy into the transfer portal. Well, remember Ross Taylor back early December pointed out that this past year the football team had a 99% graduation rate. It was the highest of any Power 5 football program since they started really keeping good track of this back in 2018, 2019, and it's the highest ever recorded amongst uh, pub- public Power 5 football programs in the 19 years the NCAA has tracked that metric. So I do think Dabo Sweeney would probably like to hang his hat on that a bit. Going back to what y'all are talking about. But can I say one thing yeah, real quick? Yeah, yeah, go on, please, please, yeah. I don't mean to interrupt. No, no, you're fine. Who cares? Who cares? Does I mean, a I single, do. Does I a do. single Clemson football fan who's paying NIL dollars for a quarterback or a receiver, who cares? Does he care if they get a degree? Seriously. Especially with the door open to transfer anytime to anywhere without penalty with no thank you for what everybody had done for you for that previous year who cares 
Go play football, basketball, baseball, win games. I do think that's fair. I do think a lot, though, do care. And also, you want to look at, at Clemson and South Carolina. A lot of players that have transferred out from Dabo Sweeney's program did so as grad transfers. A number of the top guys that have gone to other places did get their degree, whether it was three, three and a half, four, four and a half, whatever years, and then they went elsewhere. But we, I feel like we don't really celebrate that as much anymore because it's no longer a distinction. Now that you can transfer without having to sit out a year, there used to be a very clear distinction. You either were an undergrad transfer, you had to sit out a year, or you were a grad transfer and you were immediately eligible. But now those lines have been blurred. So to your point, maybe people don't care as much. Maybe that was kind of the separating line between when people stopped and or started and stopped caring. But back to what y'all were talking about for a minute, uh, for, sorry, a minute ago regarding what's the answer here. I don't think any of us know for sure, but one thing I, I feel like I've mentioned a number of times and would like to, love to throw out there again is at some point you treat them as treat the athletes as employees, and then you have to form some kind of collective bargaining agreement. There will have to be some type of system with all schools in the country, all student athletes, and they will figure out exact parameters, exact rules. If it'll be a guarantee of scholarship for four years. Or, and if you transfer, you have to do X, Y, Z as a penalty, kind of like colleges or kind of like pro athletes and, and contracts. Or if it's a one-year, like maybe players don't want to do that. Maybe the middle ground is two-year guarantee scholarship. You have to stay somewhere at least two years. Then you can transfer somewhere after two years. I don't know, just spitballing here. But I think a, an easy way to help fund this and to stop asking fans to bend over and pay whatever the heck they have left after tickets, after it's whatever the hell all, all people want to pay. What about the media rights? What about all the money that, that schools are getting from TV deals? Why not use that and figure out how to put a certain percentage, negotiate what percentage of all that revenue goes to the players? Kind of like in professional sports, whether it's a 40-60 split, a 50-50 split, whatever, well, you have these billions and billions of dollars coming into each Power Five conference and a little less so to the, uh, to the other conferences. No offense, but um, you, could, you could use that money, allocate that to pay the players, and then that takes the responsibility out from the fans. Chris, I know you got the slide. Final thoughts? Uh, it's an interesting discussion. I hate to leave it. I think Pat brings up some interesting points, but I will leave it at this, and I think it, everybody would agree. A 6-6 six and six coach who graduates all his players probably doesn't keep his job anywhere close to the length of the time. An 11-1 and one coach who graduates, say, 50% of his kids does. Fair point. All right, man. Have a good call tonight. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, fellas. Yes, Thanks, Chris. i to talk to you on the mountain. Well, up on the mountain. Take your skis with you. You snow ski? I wish I knew how to ski. Yeah. You ever snow ski? You snow ski, Pat? I haven't. I like to go have a nice cold glass, or sorry, nice glass of scotch in the warmth, and I'll, I'll wave to my friends as they go skiing by. Yeah, yeah. Never, never done the slopes. I think I've ice skated like once, but I never let go of the handrail the whole time. You know, I just sort of pulled myself around the outer part of the rink. I know one thing. When you fall on that ice, it's hard. I mean, that ice does not give. It hurts. The extent of my education or knowledge on that is – Pizza slice and French fry, and that was from a South Park episode probably 15, 20 years ago. You French fry, put your feet straight out when you want to go fast, and you make it into a pizza, so you make like a triangle, and that's how you slow down. That's great. That's great. All right, 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number. Here on Sports Talk, let's go ahead and take some phone calls. And coming up at 7.05, Mike Morgan will share his uh, worldly thoughts and then at uh, 7.35, we'll have um, another edition of the Port Authority with uh, Ben Portnoy, who's been very busy uh, covering these NCAA um, 
developments today, and there were also more hearings today in Washington about what to do for the colleges because the colleges are basically on their hands and knees begging for the, for Congress to step in and fix their problem, which I'm not so sure that's a good thing to do. Uh, Andy in Columbia, you're up first tonight. Welcome in. It's good to have you with us. First off, it's about time you had the doc on last night. Thank you very well, much. Well, he's hard to reach. He's not as easy to get on as you think. <laughs> Is yeah. that a dog? Is that a dog in the background? Well, you know, that's Finn's buddy. Oh. What's his name? Bailey. Bailey? Yes. Okay. Nice. Irish doggy. Nice. Nice. What's on your mind? Okay. Number one, regarding Studi. Hopefully, when he comes back from this arm injury or shoulder injury, we'll see some shooting that he hasn't been able to do all year. I mean, just like you said, he hasn't been that big of an impact on this team scoring-wise that we all are expecting him to do. B. So, hopefully, we'll see some improvement in shooting when his arm or shoulder. Well, keep in mind, this injury was not impeding his shooting. He got hurt during the game, so he wasn't hurt. No, I know. Yeah. I saw the injury. Yeah. He got hooked. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. a hook on a, on a, him trying to get a rebound on a, on a free throw. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just saying that I'm hoping that from his shoulder being hurt, that it healing up might improve his shooting. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, nothing can make it worse than it's been, in my opinion, for what he came in as. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm being a little bit uh, too harsh on the young man. Well, he's he's shooting overall at 43%, which, yeah, I think that's way below what was expected. He is the leading three-point shooter on the team at .388. So he's 31 of 80 from three-point range. What would you expect him to be, about 45% maybe? I think it would be fair to expect maybe 45%. What was he shooting at Vanderbilt when he came in? This is his second highest of any season he's had. As a sophomore, he shot 44.8 from the field. This year he's 43.2. And that same year, sophomore year, he was 43.2 from three. This year he's 38.7. Free throws, on the other hand, this has been his uh, lowest season of his career at 63%. I'd like to see that jump in 5% of um, three-point shooting because right now, as we all know, this team has been struggling mightily at the three-point, from the three-point arc. So, uh-huh. you know, I think he was brought in as pretty much, you know, the three-point dagger, and I don't think we've really seen that as much as we hope to have seen it. Uh-huh. Even though, you know, even though he has played played well at times, I don't think he's played up to the expectation that some of us have hoped mm-hmm. to see him play. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. But this team, I'll have to say this, has played much better as a whole than I think any of us have, have expected them to play this year. So I'll give that to Coach Paris. Well, I don't think uh, going into the season you thought they'd be 14-3 and three after 17 games, 2-2 two and two in the league. But they've got to, I mean – Losing to Georgia at home, that was one that they could have won. Not going to say should because those two teams match up pretty evenly. You know that wasn't a case where they were head and shoulders above an opponent. And the opponent came in and beat them. That was in a matchup with an opponent that was pretty much their equal in a lot of different ways. Maybe even a little bit stronger inside with their big. Their big is is good, um, and maybe with a little bit better outside shooting. 
but still at home, you you kind of feel like you, you're going to win that game. So they they let one get away. So now they got to go big, get another one on the road. Maybe Arkansas this weekend. Well, that's I mean, you just said the bigs inside. I think that's one place that this team is really not as well put together as other SEC teams is on the inside and the bigs. I just you know. Josh Gray, we've all been hoping, but as we know, he comes in and he gets into pretty quick foul trouble. And but you did say the other day, I think yesterday, about the throws. So remember in the Missouri game, he hit two of his two of his two three throws. Three mm-hmm. throws. Yep. Which if he didn't hit those, we never would have seen an overtime game there. That's right. He hit those two, but he missed. I think it was five the other night. Yeah. He's only playing about five minutes a game, and we talked about in the preseason that the inside part of this team was not all that uh, dynamic, especially with a B.J. Mack who likes to live on the outside. We'll be right back. Yeah, we're talking about uh, NIL and all that. And I just saw here where a couple of Clemson players, A.J. Hoffler and R.J. Mickens, just tweeted out within a couple of minutes of one another that they are partnering with the 110 Society. And that is labeled as the one-stop shop for all things Clemson NIL. I think this is the internal NIL at Clemson, the official NIL space for Clemson athletes, and so don't know what that means. Partnering with the NI, with the One Ten Society, except I guess it means that. Um, and I've seen a couple of stories written here recently, trying to go inside the workings of these NIL operations. Uh, they've been pretty much to this point behind closed doors. There hasn't been a lot of transparency. And that's another question. You know, when a pro athlete, he signs a contract, it's publicized. How many years, how much he's going to make. What about with these college players and the deals that they sign with uh, various companies that they are going to be representing through their NIL connections? That's the idea. I mean, the simple idea is a school has an NIL operation. I believe that eventually, my guess is, these independent NIL organizations, the ones that cropped up from the very beginning, will eventually go away because the schools are taking the NIL operations internal. So I guess they have greater control over it. And now they might be combining efforts with some of these outside entities, but I think the idea is for the the school itself to take over the NIL operation, which means let's say you bring in player A who comes into the office and you negotiate a pact with that player. And I guess, how do you do it? Do you determine as a school how much you think the player is worth as a player and you lay that sum on the table? Or does that player come back at you with a figure that he thinks he's worth based on what he does for the team what kind of social media following he has, et cetera. Once you reach an agreement on, home, on how much 
I mean, do you guarantee it as an NIL organization? Do you guarantee that money once you reach an agreement? We're going to pay you $250,000, and then you go out and, of course, you've got people giving you money because you've been raising money for that sole purpose, but then you go out and try and find business owners who want this individual to represent them in the public in the public light in terms of uh, interviews or personal appearances or advertisements. And how, how do you, I mean, there's a, to me, there's a lot of darkness there about how things are done. And my point is, why is this not all out in the open for everybody to see? Um, you know, I, the, the, the comeback has always been, you know, these are student athletes and thus it's protected information. You know, it's it's uh, it's like their medical records, I guess. It's protected information. They're not employees, da-da-da-da-da. But they sure are being treated like employees, and they're sure going to get 1099 forms uh, every January, and they're sure going to have to have withholding either on their own or they're certainly going to have to have an accountant to work with them or they're going to be in a, in a world of mess. So, And that is where it gets tricky, Phil, and, and – I don't know the exact answer to this because I guess it's a private. Is it any different than if another student athlete or student, any college kid or any adult or anybody gets a job for a different company? That's not public data. I mean, our what we make on this show is not public data. What I make in my private job isn't isn't public data. But that's where I get confused. Is this technically private donations, I would think, or is it public? Because I don't know where we have that line. Mm. What is public information and what is what is private? But but to move forward with another step, and I appreciate everything you were just saying, I also wonder about the darkness. And so I'm reading here, familiarizing myself with the 110 Society. And it looks like a man named C.D. Davies is serving as its general manager after spending the last two years working as the NIL coordinator for Clemson football. Previously, Davies was a longtime executive in the banking industry, serving as CEO for City Mortgage, Lending Tree, and Wachovia Mortgage. Heavy hitter, big time player. And... I'm not trying to insinuate anything, and I hope this comes across the right way. First of all, it's great to have somebody with that kind of experience in charge here because I would imagine you're dealing with a lot of money. But the dark part that I do wish, like you, was maybe a little bit more publicly accessible is I just hope these young men and women are not being taken advantage of. I'm not saying that's what's happening. Please don't infer otherwise. But I just hope that, like, what what does he get out of that? What is his cut? Is he retired, or why would you leave from these major corporations to now come represent something at a university? Well, there obviously must be a reason aside from just like your love of of Clemson. I, again, not trying to infer anything. I just genuinely hope all across the country these student athletes are not being taken advantage of, and this is all being done above board. But until we actually have firm lines in the sand and more stringent rules from the NCAA or whomever the conference. What is the percentage being taken? None of us know any of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how all this is working. I'm. I have it. You know, we're we're on the outside. I just I, I just found it very interesting. I mean, there's got to be something in it for all these people who jumped into the NIL world, other than just trying to be philanthropical. Exactly. I mean, they got to be. They're getting something, getting a cut, you know, because these NIL, these outside NIL operations, they just came out of nowhere. It's like they were waiting in the weeds for the courts to do what they were going to do to force the hands of the colleges, and all of a sudden, all these businesses 
came up to represent this guy and represent that guy. And you saw where announcements, so we've signed so-and-so. And Okay, but what are you getting out of it? I mean, are you doing this for nothing? Right. Are you doing this because you love your school and you think you're helping your school? Okay, well then, you know, we tip our cap to you if you're like that. But i got to think other people have been greasing their palms here a little bit. There's right. got to be something in it, I think. And that goes back to the darkness about all this. How is it being handled? How's the money moving? Uh, what's the trail? Who's doing all the accounting work, et cetera, et cetera? How so, many stories have we heard about professional athletes? The first name that comes to mind to me is Tim Duncan and had people, financial analysts or whatever, whomever that person was, that he was entrusting with tens of millions of dollars. I might have this wrong, but I don't remember if he was embezzling it. But either way, it was being misappropriated. We've heard about countless, or I don't say countless, but a lot of professional athletes over the last however many years, decades, that were taken advantage of by those that they trusted, whether it was the accountant, financial analyst, advisor, whatever. Well, those are adults. Those are full-on adults that have had other other uh, means of income, other jobs. These are college kids or college young men and women that many of which this might be their first job. It may be their first time earning an income, and it's a heck of a lot more in certain situations than other college folks are getting. And so, again, to your point, what is how is that all working out? Yeah. And also, to me, it opens a door for a lot more people to have their hands in your business. Because think about this. Anybody that you're dealing with regarding money that they're giving you or money that they're raising for you, they want a little something back in return. I'm not saying everybody, but I think it's human nature. You know, you raise money, you give money, you want a little something back at some point in time. Maybe you want to talk to the athletic director about the head coach, or maybe you want to visit with a coach about a player or two. I don't know, just something. I just see under the current structure a lot of ways that wires can get crossed here. And we've seen some issues already. A little bit. I'm not saying it's been terrible, but we've seen some issues crop up. I think more will happen as time goes on unless they come up with a solution so that there are rules that work within the law. I mean, that's what they've got to deal with now. They've got to deal with courts who are shooting down everything that the NCAA has used to govern their schools over all these years all right let's go to hank in columbia for our next phone call hank welcome into sports talk how are you hey phil hey pat i, I was calling in this um because i think with this topic y'all are talking about there's been too much look that um these athletes are this or these athletes are getting this and you posed a question um two segments ago you said how did we get here and we got here not because of the athletes <laughs> and, and not even because of the courts. We got here because of the schools. Everybody likes to shoot at that NCAA, but we got here because of the schools. And, 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 and my reason for that, and I go back to years of when you were talking, going back, listening to your show now for almost 30-something years, Corn. 
You were listening while you were in the crib? That was great. Oh, man, I was. Your parents oh, yeah, your, yeah. your parents took good yeah, care Corn, of you, educated you I remember, <laughs> I'm probably your age, but I remember when you used to do the Sunday night recruiting show mm. before the National Signing Day, mm-hmm. and you could almost you could almost announce everyone's recruiting class. Yes, I uh, could. You remember that? Yes, I could. You remember yeah. that? Yeah. You yeah. remember that Sunday night show? I was a lone so, wolf. I was a lone wolf. Yeah, just you. Pretty much. <laughs> Sounds like you were in a dark cave, but you would say, this is what the recruits are going to look like yep. February, the first Wednesday in February. But um, it's the adults in the NCAA, because the NCAA are the colleges. And that's what's put it there. And if I go and use your <laughs> ideology from way back when, because there was a time when athletes came in, they chose whatever major they wanted to be in, they practiced, they, they came back in summer two, they started to work out, but most of the time you would go downtown and you'd go into a Staples and you'd see uh, an athlete or two working in there. You would go to an Eckers and you'd see a Melvin Page in there working behind the desk at an Eckers drugstore or CVS drugstore. Uh-huh. And then schools and the NCAA started allowing these coaches to have uh, the year-round workouts. No longer did a kid go home for the first part of the summer for the second part of summer, the kid, kid went home for the three weeks after graduation in May, and in June he was back on the clock. Mm-hmm. And and then you also had the thing where you went away from games were either one o'clock or seven o'clock. So now you had the Thursday night game during basketball. You had the the games that started at twelve o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. Remember they used to do that twenty four hour day, I mean twenty four hour marathon. Oh yeah, basketball. Playing, yeah, opening night every kids year. Mar- three, yeah. the kids playing Midnight three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, because we let the money in the, t- the, the the colleges let the money in the t- because they were pouring all that money so that the colleges could elevate all these coaches' salaries. Well, I said so, I said a couple of we weeks ago. I, I said a couple of weeks ago. I said who is to blame? We did a segment on who is to blame, and basically uh-huh. we're all guilty. We're all guilty. Yeah. We're yeah, all guilty because and we had control. The, the, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, we're all guilty because we're as guilty as the next because as fans, (laughs) take off the media hat, but as fans, people who (laughs) love college athletics, I mean, we we buy the tickets, we watch the games on Tuesday night, we watch the games on Wednesday night. As long as those games are creating an audience and they're able to sell the advertising and make the money Mm -hmm. as part of the big packages, they're going to do it and they're going to continue to expand on it. I said when they yep. televised the first high school game back when Clowney, Clowney was in one of the first high school games to be nationally televised. Maybe not the first, but he was one of the first. And back then you might have one high school game being televised in a season. Uh-huh. Um, and I said, you wait and see. I mean, this thing is going to – you're going to find more and more high school games being televised. And – you know, yeah. look what's happened since now. Now you've got a regular schedule of, of high school games, both in terms of local telecasts, uh, uh-huh. the national telecast. Now, is it bad? I don't know. Does it hurt teams at the gate? Are they getting paid? for Everything I'd heard, for the most part, now, is they, the they schools don't make any money off of their high school games being televised. They don't get anything back uh, to help uh, pick up for the expenses that they incur or the loss of ticket sales that they might incur yeah. as a result. So. But again, that's not going to change because, I mean, people believe people who make decisions believe the sports world just totally revolves around television, 
and it's somehow yeah. television makes an event bigger and better than it already is. Perfect example, real quick, well, Hank. Real quick, uh, perfect mm-hmm. example here. It's on a professional level, though. But look what just happened, what, last weekend? This is in the NFL. But how many of us voiced our pu- publicly our complaints about the NFL putting the Chiefs and Dolphins? Probably the most exciting game of that weekend. And they put it on Peacock exclusively where hardly anybody has an account with Peacock. Thank you again, Cornflow Musers. Yeah, now they do. But we kind of did it to ourselves as as football fans. Football fans. Yeah. The NFL knew, like, hey, y'all are going to complain. You're going to complain and moan all you want, but we're going to dangle this in front of you, and we know you guys are so addicted to what we're supplying here that you're going to go out and do it anyways. And so now we've given them the green light to continue to do that. Same kind of concept. Twenty four million. They had twenty four million reasons four to million do it. Views, yeah. mm-hmm. Well, this is one thing. Corn is this. They had a chance to control this before. You know, that's why he, when I said, he came on saying, the courts did it to him. When Ed O'Bannon filed that lawsuit, he filed it, they, they lost, and they had all these years to go in, and they could have just started out a thing where well, each athlete's able to get 10000 from the school if the, if the school will um, agree to do it, agree to give it to them and all that. And you know everybody would have done it just for recruiting purposes. And if they'd done that, the athletes, starting at that point, would have been happy as heck if just doing that and just their own little individual um, things because they weren't getting anything before. When they when they went to these year-round workouts and all that stuff, they weren't increasing the money in scholarship. They gave it that cost of living, but they weren't increase they weren't increasing what the athletes had already been getting when the athletes could go home for the summer and stuff like that. Yeah. But they didn't do that. We, we they got, pedaled around, pedaled around. We, we got to run. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you're right with what you're saying. I will say this. Um, I still believe, and I'll always believe, that a, a good trade-off for most of the time that we've had college athletics, an excellent trade-off was your college scholarship and everything that went with it. Now, the NCAA went too far, of course, with their silly rules, and nobody said anything or did anything about it because the schools are the NCAA. You know, they make the rules. They sit on the panels. They vote on it. They discuss it. They decide it. So they did it themselves with their crazy rules like you can't hand a kid a hot dog or you can't have a, a certain kind of – I'm making some things up – but a certain kind of ice cream. I mean, all just the, the, the over-the-top – uh, attempt to regulate um, uh, honesty, I guess, and regulate uh, uh, across the board evenness with all the schools. And it just couldn't be done. Um, and, and the athletes paid the price because you kept asking more and more of them, and you weren't, and you were taking more and more away. So, yeah, that was wrong. That was terribly wrong. Um, still believe having your college scholarship and everything with it paid for if you stayed at a school for four or five years and they covered everything that you were doing from the scholarship and your health and your travel um, there should have been a stipend established in there there should have been a clothes allowance you should have allowed parents to travel on your dollar etc if you had done things like that you wouldn't be in this situation that you're in now be right back Thank you. 
Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, health care, restaurants, travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives, and as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. Last year was a big year for Founders Federal Credit Union and our amazing members. A total of $30 million was given back to qualifying members in the form of loyalty bonus dividends, proving once again that it pays to be a Founders member. Founders is also committed to pouring time and resources into the local communities we serve. If you aren't a member yet, what are you waiting for? Join Founders today. Visit foundersfcu.com. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership qualification required. Hi, this is Lisa Hosteller-Brown. Do you know the difference between a revocable trust and an irrevocable trust? The difference could easily save you hundreds of thousands of dollars in long-term care costs. Visit LawyerLisa.com to schedule a consultation today. Call Lawyer Lisa. Experience the difference with Lawyer Lisa. 7511 St. Andrews Road, Irmo, South Carolina. Daddy, you need a trust. Hi, yes, uh, I'll have the club sandwich and house salad. You got it, sweetie. I'll throw in a pair of designer sunglasses as well. Um, just lunch, thanks. How about a week at my boss's oceanfront villa? What? When you join the South Carolina Education Lottery's Players Club, you get way more than you expect. More chances, more wins, and more surprises. Today's special, a trip to low Earth orbit in a private spaceship. Join the Players Club at seeducationlottery.com because more happens here. When trouble comes like the accidents do, we all get sick and the bills pile too. There's only one number that can help see you through. And if you're healthy, here's what you should do. Call 605-7905. That's the number that you need to know. 605-7905. Zero dollar deductible. What's a deductible, you say? That's the price you have to pay before the insurance will say we'll help you. They keep that number out of reach because they know that you won't reach that number because they know you're healthy. 605-7905. Zero dollar deductible. 605-7905. 727 is the area code. All right, coming up on the top of the hour here on Sports Talk, 888-898-2525. That's our number. We go to Keith in Camden. Next with us here on Sports Talk. Welcome, Keith. How are you? I'm doing great, Phil. Hope you are, too. Yes, sir. Uh, You know, just listening to the conversation, I think, you know, I had tickets for 38 years and decided I'm done. And just sitting here listening tonight, 
you know, you're right. We're all, we all have been a part of the problem. When I said I'm done and quit buying, uh, you know, tickets, all I did was go to the home experience, bought mm. a 96-inch TV, and, Ooh. you know, feeding the... Uh, 96 the, inches? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm exaggerating. It was big. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I figured what I was giving the university, I could afford a TV. There you go. Uh, but, uh, you know, so I'm to blame, too, but what I've seen the last, since this NIL... I'm guilty. I watch Carolina. I watch Clemson. But I didn't watch nearly the games that I used to. And at the at the end of the day, we're all guilty. But I tell you, nothing's going to change. There's going to be a certain amount of teams. Uh, they're going to do whatever they have to do to be successful. But what will change the fan base is you look at the schedule next year. You have a couple of five and 12, uh, excuse me, five and seven years. And we just mediocre, you know, in the middle of the pack. Uh, that will influence people. Uh, it may not change the national thing, but it will affect uh, the university. And uh, you're right. They're guilty of it. President, uh, Ray Tanner, all the, all the athletic directors. But nobody ever asked them those questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just a hot mess. But... You know, I'm just as guilty as everybody else, but, you know. Well, you're not I, alone. You're not it. alone because I saw a release today from the Gamecock Club, which is still in existence, and their release was about their great success in 2023 and, and the record numbers that they uh, enrolled in the Gamecock Club and the record yeah. giving and all that. So, hey, you know, this new age, this this is – apparently something that they like and they want to see it done this way and the Gamecocks have been selling out their games Clemson have been selling out their games I mean right now there's really except for us not liking it and liking the change there's really nothing to complain about as far as the school is concerned Uh, people are buying tickets people are giving their money people are watching on television they need to put a good winning product on the field or, or things will change. But right now, it's all positive. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. Back we are, big Thursday edition of Sports Talk. Sports Talk Media Network. Phil Kornblutz, Pat Daniel here in Columbia, Chris Bergens in Statesboro, Georgia. He is doing that Coastal Carolina-Georgia Southern game. Just a moment, Mike Morgan will be with us for another edition of Morgan on the Move, of course, is brought to you by, on Thursday nights, by Gary Patterson, State Farm agent for 35 years. Gary's been serving the real estate needs from Lugolf to Lexington, Columbia to Blythewood, auto home life insurance, business insurance. They can all be handled by Gary Patterson. When Gary's not refereeing ACC football games, he's spending countless hours 
helping South Carolinians with all their insurance needs and making a difference in his community. Go check out Gary Patterson Net today. That's GaryPatterson.net. GaryPatterson.net. And Gary will go over the best plans for you and your family. That's GaryPatterson.net. All right, Mike will be with us in just a second. And we will find out what is going on inside his fertile brain as he makes the rounds doing a college basketball primarily around the SEC. In the meantime, we'll update some scores. Winthrop Winthrop is leading Asheville by a 10-5 to count. Charleston, College of Charleston, is on top of Towson, 8-7. to Make that Towson is on top of Charleston, 7-5. to Five look like an eight. Towson leading seven to five. Georgia Southern, the five three lead on Coastal Carolina. There you go with some of the early scores, and we'll be keeping a watch on that for you the rest of the hour. Ben Portnoy at the bottom of the hour. We got some recruiting uh, to work in as well. If you're just joining us, we had a very good conversation in the first hour talking about once again the various ills of the NCAA and why we are where we are in this situation with college athletics. We had no answers, and we had no no good advice. Uh, we just talked it out and left it where we found it, which is like right in the middle of a uh, tornado. All right, so Mike is with us now. Again, brought to you by Gary Patterson Insurance and by... Sponsored by Love Chevrolet. No hassles, no all-day runarounds, no ridiculous add-on stickers. At Love Chevy, buying a car is fun. South Carolina's number one volume Chevy dealer. I-26 at Harbison and at lovechevy.com. Find new roads. Yeah, the man's got so many sponsors we have to do, too, for him here on Sports Talk just to pay the phone bill. Mike Morgan, Morgan on the move with us now here on Sports Talk. Welcome in. It's great to have you with you. us. And first of all, fill us in on your uh, your travels. Where have you been and where are you going? Well, I, I just got back from LSU. Had uh, LSU Ole Miss uh, last night. It was a pretty thrilling game. LSU was was just better. Bat McMahon is going to build something special in Baton Rouge. It's just going to take time. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I promise you, he, he is a good coach, and um, and they're going to be a, a problem for some folks this year. And then uh, I go to Kentucky Saturday, Rupp Arena. It will be the Kentucky Wildcats against the Georgia Bulldogs, who, of course, uh, just snuck out of Columbia with a, a win. Mike White's done a, a really good job, and it's a – it's one of the better stories because I can tell you in my travels to Gainesville for games over the years, Mike White took a lot of heat from people, and there's a lot of people that wanted him fired, and he saw that and said, you know what, the hell with you. I'll, you don't have to fire me. I'm going to quit and take the Georgia job. And uh, kind of an ultimate uh, blank you moment that uh, I think a lot of people in the workforce wouldn't mind having with one of their bosses at some point or another, but – no, I mean, Georgia's really been a great story. I've said this all along, and I'll continue to say it. Uh, Georgia, Ole Miss, and South Carolina are the most improved teams in this league. The, the problem for those three teams and everybody else is that the top is still the top. Like Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, Alabama are all really good. And I don't know if I'd want to play Arkansas right now either because eventually they're going to figure some things out and, and be better. 
Missouri is is still a challenge, even though they're not as good as last year. Uh, there's just not, other than Vanderbilt, there's not a weak link right now. So it's it's a again, it's a brutal, brutal league. What has happened to Vandy? That's a good question, um, and probably a longer answer than your audience would care to hear. But I mean, basically, the the off season got got off on the wrong foot, where a bunch of their key players left. And then I haven't – that's the one team I haven't had this year. And I haven't seen who they brought in, but I don't know if there's any impact guys there. You know, it, 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 this is not so far a recruiting class or a portal class that has paid off great dividends. The record says that. So, you know, after a long year in football for Vanderbilt, uh, it might be a long one in basketball. Now, maybe Jerry turns it around. Look, he's – He's had teams that have gotten off the slow starts and then really kind of figured things out late. Maybe that's this team, but I, I'm not sure. Uh, they uh, they just have not been able to get anything going whatsoever. Alabama, Nate Oates. He's a bit of a hothead. He doesn't mind sticking his nose right there in the fan, but dude can coach. And, I mean, he lost terrific talent off of last year's team. Uh, two guys that went to the yeah. draft, you know, and but he's replenished his roster, and they're right back there once again among the best. They're four and zero in the league. Auburn's four. How about the state of Alabama? Two teams that are four and zero. We'll get to Auburn in a second, but what about Nate Oates mm-hmm. and what he's able to do? Continue to do at Alabama. Yeah, I, I mean, look, the I just had Auburn a week ago, and um, you know, I said this on the air. Uh, the, that is as good a turnaround as there's been in college basketball in the last 30 years. People have to remember how bad Auburn was, and, and nobody cared about basketball there. We ran a stat. Their average RPI 10 years previous Pearl was like 167, 187, and in the last six, seven years under Pearl, it's 25. Uh, it, it, it's a Scott Drew-like reclamation project. Uh, Alabama, not quite as bad, but the the two hires they made with Avery Johnson and Anthony Grant, they didn't work out. And Nate Oates comes in there and turns them into a national power seemingly overnight. So the state of Alabama, uh, you know, for a time you could have said Alabama was very similar to what South Carolina was years ago, where it didn't seem like either of the major programs was doing anything good. Uh, now Alabama has become, you've got two powerhouses there led by Bruce Pearl and Nate Oates. So I know a lot of people don't like those two coaches, but the fan bases of those respective schools love them and realize what a good thing they have. Well, it sounds like Pearl has sort of, um, tightened the ship there at Auburn. I mean, yes, he's, he's had his, his issues and he's had his penalties imposed upon him, but he's been pretty pretty much walking the straight and narrow at Auburn as far as we know. Then again, who has to walk the straight and narrow anymore? You can, Everything that these coaches used to get in trouble for, uh, you can do now. Uh, until, well, right. Well, you know, here's the funny thing, though, though, Mike. I mean, this Florida State situation where the NCAA comes in and levies penalties on Florida State, and I mean, really, they could do that to 75 schools across the country because they're all using NIL in recruiting, and that's what they – they came down on Florida State for, by and large, for taking a guy to go visit a guy to go get his NIL deal. And 
don't tell me that, you know, every SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, and what's left of the Pac-12, they're not all doing the same thing now. Not all, not to mention, of I'm course. sure your 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 schools, the, the next step down, who are, who've got some boosters uh, giving money are doing the same thing. Well, how, how do you get away just hammering Florida State? And I say hammering. I mean, they – you know the penalties aren't going to destroy the program; they're going to sting a little bit. But I mean, how do you even go about singling them out over the entire field of violators? Yeah, it is unusual. I mean, we're just not used to seeing it anymore or caring about it anymore because we know, and coaches have told me point blank off the record, this is not nil. We're buying players. Quote. End quote. And that's exactly what's going on. And everybody knows it. So we can continue to play the charade, um, but it's it's pure pay-for-play and pay-for-stay. That's, that's what we created. That's the Pandora's box we opened. And unlike a, a true professional rank where, where players are getting paid, we have no definitive contracts. Uh, we, we have nobody honoring much of anything. I mean, it's just... It's crazy. Uh, I maintain it's the biggest reason why Nick Saban left the sport at 72 as opposed to 78. Mm-hmm. Uh, coaches, coaches, even the successful coaches think it's wrong the way we're doing this. But uh, that's what it is. How Florida State got dinged, I, I honestly don't know. I don't understand it. Do you think, as somebody who watches all this college football, basketball, baseball up close traveling the country, and, of course, you do pro games as well. But, I mean, the college game, as far as how we're dealing with the athletes, is becoming closer and closer to the pro game. So do you think it will in any way negatively impact the product on the college level? And do you think in any way it's going to negatively impact the fan interest? I mean, I would say so far, I would argue the the very small sample that we've got here in the first couple of years – it's done neither. I don't think the product has been hurt. I don't think the fan interest has been hurt. If anything, it it might be even stronger. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think the product has never been healthier. I mean, if you just go on ratings and revenues, my goodness, college football and men's basketball have never uh, been this popular. Now, that doesn't mean people hate the fact, don't hate the fact that I used to know what my roster was every year, and now I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to th- I used to think that player really loved my university, and now it feels like he's nothing more than a hired gun, a vagabond that's in there for as long as he can make a, a buck and then leave for the, the guy that offers another buck. Uh, I think it's unmatched uh, popularity, unmatched uh, product, but also unmatched cynicism by the fan base. It's like, you know, you're in this relationship and you know it's the best thing out there, but boy, the, the flaws steep. They, they get a little bit bigger and bigger with time. Uh, it's like you, Phil. I mean, one, for crying out loud, put down the toilet seat. You know, at, at some point, Hello. that's going <laughs> to that, run a relationship into the ground. But here's the good news. You know, the love is so strong in the core blued household that that's not going to affect it. And, in fact, you guys have never been better. That's the best analogy I can make. Well, can you take a moment out of your time and explain what the use of the phrase put down the toilet seat uh, is referring to? I'm really lost trying to gather in 
what that actually you know is pointing towards. Oh well, wait a minute! Does that have uh, to do with? Does that have to do with uh, men and women? Like, yeah. I see. I yes, put the toilet does. seat down all the time. I'm a you know as soon as well. There you go. Yeah. That's, but you're saying that's the, why you've been but, married for forty years. I got. You. Well, what do you do now? You're a married man of many years. I mean, what do you do? Well, I installed an electric uh, device where I just <laughs> put a button and it happens automatically. Uh, and I, oh, you and got, got, got one of those French things. You got one of those French <laughs> things? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, the dueling bidets uh, just, to, just to pass the time. But, no, you, I mean, your your question is a great one, and it and it is – I think that a lot of fans that are frustrated want to say, oh, this is what I was afraid of. This is why I don't like pro sports. I'm I'm out. I'm protesting. I'm boycotting. But the fact of the matter is, and the people that run the sport know this, the fans of college athletics are the most passionate on the planet, and they're not going anywhere. They're just not. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 if you are a Gamecock or a Tiger fan, you are going to either attend, watch, or listen to every football game and – probably most basketball and baseball games, and in some cases, women's basketball. That's just, that's just the way the college football fan is wired. Uh, and so I, I don't think, even with all the nonsense going on around the sport, I don't, think it, I don't think the product on the field and the court, honestly, have really suffered. I think it's, I mean, the athletes are, have never been better, and the coaching has never been better. So it, it's this weird thing where you've got, a lot, a, a tidal wave of really good stuff, and this wave crashing against it of some chaos uh, that you're worried how's that going to affect the product. It hasn't affected it enough to take away any of the popularity of the sports that we love. Mm. Mike Morgan joining us here on Sports Talk, and Mike trying to get us back on the rails here after that uh, fantastic toilet <laughs> conversation there. But switching gears to football a little bit, and you being in Atlanta, I think you might be able to speak on this a bit. It might not be the local team for most of our fans here, myself included, to go Panthers. But with the Falcons, mm. reports coming out this afternoon that the Falcons will be do, uh, performing a second interview with now former Patriots coach, that's weird to say, Bill Belichick this coming weekend. My question for you is, what would happen if the Falcons blow a two-interview lead on hiring Bill Belichick after what happened in the Super Bowl a few years ago? Mm. Uh, I see what you did there. 28-3, yeah, yeah. 2-0, I got gotcha. you. Uh, look, I, I, I don't know. If, if the Falcons are able to pull him in, it's, it's totally an Arthur Blank versus the field win. Like It's not because Bill Belichick wants to be in Atlanta. And it's not because Bill Belichick looks at Desmond Ritter and says, yeah, that's a franchise quarterback. Uh, It would be a very bizarre hire in a bizarre situation where they still don't have, in my eyes, uh, a a true starting NFL quarterback that can take you to the promised land. And Bill Belichick doesn't seem to me like a guy who wants a a two-, three-year rebuild. So that tells me maybe the market is not that strong for a 71-, 72-year-old head coach who hasn't done a whole lot in New England the last couple of years since a guy named Tom Brady left. Uh, I, if it happens, it won't shock me. If it doesn't happen, it won't shock me. Uh, living in Atlanta, I'd love to see it. It, it would, <laughs> I think a fan base that has been tortured through uh, three or four consecutive mediocre coaches is ready for something different and established. But uh, I, I, I have a feeling Bill is waiting to see what else is out there, too. 
One more question for you, Mike. Switching gears again now to college basketball. Sticking here with the South Carolina men's Gamecock program, currently 14-3 and overall, 2-2 two and two in the SEC. They have right at 14 games left, all SEC games. Trying to think what the magic number might be. If they were to go 7-7, seven and seven, so finish 500 then in the conference at 9-9, nine and nine, and they would be 21-10 and 10 on the season, would that be enough to get it done? Or what in your mind would be a magic number for wins for the Gamecocks to get into, into the tournament? Well, look, I, if, if you went 500 in the league and then you did a little damage in Nashville, then I feel pretty good about it. But the, the, here's where you get into trouble when you start saying magic number. Not all nine and nine conference records are the same. Mm-hmm. You know, Got this it. is what a couple of a couple of Frank's teams, and they would point at how many wins. And it, yeah, but if you lose to a bad Georgia team three times, that's why you're not getting in the NCAA tournament. So. You can't play the shell game of look at how many wins we got. Just look at our good ones and ignore our bad ones. Um, at Georgia at home, I want to tell you right now, that's not that bad a loss. Like it's not like losing to Stetson, but it does set up a, a scenario where you really don't want to lose at home again, and you'd love to steal one on the road, much like you already did in Como. So I, I, I think that. Five hundred around five hundred is going to be good enough for most teams, but again, the devil's going to be in the detail. Who, who did you spring any quad one uh, victories in in league play? We know they stand a, had at least one or two non con. You know, did you beat a Kentucky, a Tennessee, and Auburn and Alabama? Those quote unquote elite teams in the league, or did you just feast on the bottom third? All these things go get, get baked into the uh, equation and. That's why I say that there's no such thing as a magic number. It really, the magic number is the net. And just keep your eye on that and keep your eye on, you know, where they stand uh, in that, in that number, because even though it's not the final say, it is clearly their most important number as a guide as to which teams get in and which, which teams do not. And I would be more than leaning toward the fact that Carolina is going to be one of a few bubble teams in this league come March. Yeah, they're sitting at 69. They've got one Q1 win and two Q1 losses. And they're going to play number 107 this weekend in Arkansas. But it is a road win, a road game, so if you can win it on the road, um, you know, it won't be a Q1 win for you, but it'll be certainly, certainly better than a loss. But here's something that's kind of interesting. You talk about, you know, Florida, which is 52 in the net. They are 0-5 in Q1 games thus far. Oh, and five, yet you know, yeah. they're still fifty-two, which which isn't which isn't awful. Um, for that matter, as I look down the list here, there is not a single SEC team. Let me double check here before I say something. Yeah, there's not a single SEC team, Mike, right now that has a winning record in Q1 games. You got a couple who are five hundred. There's a four and four. There's a two and two, but there's a one and one. Nobody has a winning record. Now, I know these numbers will change as teams move up and down, and those numbers will change. But that's kind of interesting that there's not a single SEC team with a winning record. You can use this in your broadcast. You don't have to credit me. I'm okay with it. Um, Okay, sure. steal your material all the time. You know this. Just drop it in when you're talking to John Sunvelt about uh, running the triple weave. Or who's your who's your John Sunvold? But yes. Or the next time you're doing a broadcast with Dominique Wilkins, too, just just slide that right in there. Yeah. Just drop it right in. They'll be right in with me. They'll, they'll be impressed with your with your homework. So, 
Uh, they where, will. That's where, that's a heck of a nugget. Where are you this weekend? Uh, I will be in Lexington. I will be at Rupp Arena. That's right. One of those teams that I think when it's all said and done will have the most quad one wins in this league is Kentucky. Uh, I've seen every team, like I said, except Bandy. Uh, Kentucky and Tennessee, uh, to me, are the, the two most difficult matchups, and Auburn and Alabama are not far behind. But uh, Kentucky-Georgia, I think, will be a, a really entertaining game. We'll have that for you at 6 o'clock on the SEC Network. John Sunvold, John who once Sun competed against Vold. That right. They competed against Larry Bird in a three-point contest. True story. Yeah. Uh, I'm that, sure he uh, lost. The, I'm sure he lost. You know, everybody lost when Larry was in it. In fact, Larry, he tells the story how Larry went into the locker room and looked at Sunbold and the other five or six contestants, and he just kind of took a deep exhale, and he said, all right, fellas, who's finishing second? And of course, <laughs> Was that first. the time he said that? I mean, that's a very famous little line yes. there. Oh, Sunvold was involved with that, huh? Sunvold was in that three-point contest and had Larry talking trash in the locker room to him and everybody else. Yes, he witnessed Larry Legend uh, in the flesh. I, I have said it before. I'll say it again since you're listening. I've said this on the record. Larry Bird, the most handsome athlete ever created. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, he just... Clearly was an Adonis, yes. I mean, it's Clearly. a different look. It's a different look. And it depends on how you appreciate a man's look. But in my eyes, the most beautiful man ever created. Well, you know, I think you should pass that along and maybe write him a letter. No, I've, I do have an autographed uh, picture of Larry Bird. Do you really? Well, he gave it to somebody else to give to me, so it wasn't directly given to me. But, yes, I oh. do have a autographed Larry Bird picture. Well, I'm jealous. Yeah. Uh, as a Larry Legend fan, mm -hmm. I have a lot of paraphernalia. I do not have that. Well, I'll make you a, uh, a copy and send it to you. That'd be great. Yeah. Thank you. All Thank right. You for that. Safe travels, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay, guys. Have a great weekend. As Mike yawns Thanks, at the Mike. end of the Appreciate interview. You, man. Was that a yawn or a deep breath, an exhale? He's gone. He's a quick dropper. He's a quick dropper of the line. You know those people that drop the line real quick? Yeah. That's him. All right, let's update basketball. We've got uh, Winthrop 29, Asheville 27, Towson 26, and Charleston 23. Charleston's on a 10-game winning streak, 4-0 in the CAA. No longer the Colonial, but the Coastal Athletic Association. Georgia Southern 19-15 over Coastal Carolina. And we've got Michigan State, 37, Minnesota, 32, Memphis, 29, South Florida, 10. Speaking of South Florida, you know, I was at the funeral yesterday for Art Baker. I told you, ran into uh, Brad Scott and Jeff Scott, and uh, they look well. They both are living up in Clemson or Seneca. In the case of Brad, I think Jeff might be living closer to, uh, to Clemson. But I said, uh, hey, when are you going to be back, uh, running that Clemson offense. He says, I'm happy doing what I'm doing right now, which is absolutely nothing. I said, I bet you are. I bet you are. But you know he's going to coach again somewhere. He's too young just to sit at home. He's got to get out and do something. i got to believe he's going to get involved with somebody somewhere before too long. And Clemson's right there in his back door. All right, we'll be back. <laughs>
All right, thanks again to Mike Morgan, Morgan on the Move, with us tonight on Sports Talk. we got recruiting coming up for you, a few other notes, but let's continue to scan the country for some of the top news nuggets of the week, some of the top items to talk about. We welcome in once again another edition of the Port Authority here on Sports Talk. He is Ben Portnoy of the Sports Business Journal. Welcome in, sir. Many travels. How are you? What's going on, guys? Appreciate you having me. As always, great having you with us. I saw you were writing today about what was going on with the NCAA, uh, both up in Congress, where people are still uh, talking about trying to get Congress to do something to to save the NCAA from itself, and also this lawsuit in Ohio that's been filed against them. So what's your take on all this? Yeah, there's a lot to, uh, certainly a lot to discuss. Uh, I would say that, you know, starting with the NIL hearing that happened in D.C. today on Capitol Hill, um, you know, it followed, frankly, a lot of the track that we've seen with a lot of these things where, frankly, it's a lot of talking, a lot of grandstanding and kind of having the same conversation over and over and over again, which is just kind of what it is. Um, Now, that said, uh, the, the biggest thing that kind of came out of this uh, that I thought, at least, was Lori Trahan, uh, the, the Democratic rep from Massachusetts, said after the meeting that uh, basically, in so many words, she says she doesn't see Congress passing measures on college athletes can be employees or not, or providing the NCAA with an antitrust exemption. Hmm. Uh, those are functionally the two things that college athletics people are in discussing anything with Congress about period. So like, those are the two things that the reasons for why they're having these conversations, basically. Um, if that's not going to happen, uh, it's a lot of, okay, what are we doing here? Um, I think that, you know, it's certainly, it's certainly in, uh, look, we've been having these conversations over and over and over again for months. Right. And I think that this is, I think what the 11th hearing on Capitol Hill now, um, that, that there's been a hearing with college sports people, um, with representatives about this subject, and it hasn't really gone anywhere. Now, there's people in, con- excuse me, in Congress, in college circles that feel optimistic that Congress will pass something, but I, uh, again, kind of have my doubts there. Conversation about a super conference took place today with Charlie Baker, which I think is in the back of everybody's mind that deals with this, a super conference of the, the, the big financial programs that want to go off and just do their own thing and spend that money and do as they please. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think, you know, Charlie Baker was asked today whether he felt like college sports could, excuse me, whether uh, whether super conferences could exist under the NCAA structure. And he basically said yes, in so many words. Uh, it's certainly an interesting time. I think there's a lot of thought that if there become super conferences and, and there becomes this sort of break off of big time college football, whether that would fall under the NCAA's jurisdiction or purview. Uh, but for what it's worth, Charlie Baker said he thinks that that can still exist and, and reiterated that to lawmakers today. Where does it go from here with Capitol Hill? That's a good question. I think, you know, certainly there will probably be more conversations. Uh, I think there's always <laughs> there's always conversations on this, right? Um, I, I think that that will be part of it. I think that, you know, there's going to be another set of meetings with the NCAA decision makers in April, uh, whether it's the D1 Council, I believe, uh, who will take up some things that Charlie Baker proposed in his proposal about a month and a half ago, uh, or almost two months ago now. Um, now, whether that anything comes of that, we'll see. 
you know, there's some sort of the bureaucracy of this that there are committees at the NCA who are looking at Charlie Baker's proposal and trying to move things forward. And the idea would be that they could enact something by the end of this year, uh, generally speaking. Whether that happens, again, it's sort of, you know, don't hold your breath with a lot of these things. There's a lot of talking and there's not really a lot of action. I think, you know, certainly Charlie Baker's proposal was action, um, but it may be a little while till we see any more action on that front. Well, he was quoted as saying that if you convert all of college sports into employment, there is simply no doubt, based on math, that you will lose an enormous number of of student-athlete opportunities. The money is just not there. Most schools lose money on sports. But, I mean, end quote, that, that's going to that's kind of hard for people to stomach when they see that every SEC team now is going to be making about $75, 80000000 per year with this new TV contract. And the Big Ten is going to make more than that per team. And the Big 12 is going to make a pretty good chunk. The ACC is you know, going to make a pretty good chunk, not what those others are making as it stands right now. I think people have a hard time agreeing with that when they see an $80 million check going to a school uh, on an annual basis and more. They're not they're not re- reducing the amount of money these schools are getting annually. They, it keeps going up. Um, does that argument hold water? I, I, I would say this. I get the argument, but I think it's also a product of the functional – issues that college sports have and how they spend money, right? And that, you know, let's say uh, insert school, insert power five school here makes a hundred million dollars a year. The problem is is they're spending a hundred million dollars a year as well. And and that there's been this overspending basically, and there's no attempt to basically be profitable. Now in the grand scheme and looking, let's say 20, 40 years ago, right? Like college sports were not designed to be profitable entities. They're supposed to be arms of the universities that sponsored sports teams and obviously brought in some money and ticket sales and things like that. But, you know, they weren't meant to be these giant behemoths that they've become. And because of that, you've got a spending pattern with sort of spending all the money you're earning uh, to fund all these other sports. Generally speaking, the money comes coming from football and you're not getting any return on investment, basically. Uh, And I think that that is part of the argument there and that, you know, you've got, yes, you've got these schools spending, you know, $100 million and saying, hey, we don't have the money. But the really the reason they say that is because they're spending all this money on other things that, that frankly, they don't make a ton of sense business if you look at just basic business practices. So as I look at it, if they don't get any relief from Congress, and you kind of indicate based on what you're saying and what you were told and what you've read, that there doesn't seem to be an interest from Congress to help the colleges bail themselves out of this. If they don't get antitrust exemptions, any kind of help from Congress along those lines, how are they going to – I mean, it it seems like the courts just shoot down every regulation now that the NCAA has had in place or is putting in place from everything from trying to – limit the amount of money that they're spending to trying to limit how much how many times players can transfer without penalty the courts are saying you can't do that you can't do that so what are they going to do i think that's the fundamental question here right is like what is the answer and i don't know that there is one and i think ultimately the answer that's going to happen is that a lot of schools are going to be in deep trouble because you're going to have a point where probably Athletes are going to become employees. They're going to be 
you know, they're going to be eligible for things that come with being employees, and that creates a whole host of issues, and that there are some schools that are going to be able to afford it, and there are going to be some schools that don't. And I think that there's probably a breaking point coming. Um, now, where that line gets drawn, we'll see. I mean, like, look, there are Power 5 schools that don't make the kind of money that may be needed to, to do these kinds of things and to operate in the way that college sports is trending when it comes to the employment thing. You know, I had someone propose kind of the idea that basically if you don't don't find a way to – govern college sports and, and find a way to make the money work basically you know there's a world where instead of sponsoring 20 sport or whatever i think the d1 minimum is 13 14 sports um to, to be a division one school you know you're going to have schools sponsor four sports and it's going to be you know football men's and women's basketball and something else and it, whether that happens or not we'll see again like there's a lot of steps to get there but I think, and then everything else will be club and maybe it'll be sponsored by the school in some capacity, but it's not going to be in the same way that it is currently. And I think that that to me feels like the most realistic option. And I don't even know if it's an option. It may be forced, excuse me, forced upon sort of college sports administrators and, and decision makers because the courts are swinging against the NCAA at basically every, at every point. And here we have a guy who announced today he's returning to Miami for his ninth season of college football nine seasons nine years in college football i mean that's like that's longer than most coaches are head coaches at any <laughs> one place and this guy is coming back for his ninth year that's dr mccormick tight end at miami really <laughs> that's right no i think you guys are referencing cam mccormick at miami and if we want to play a really fun game cam mccormick and i graduated high school a year apart so i think when he committed to i think when, when he committed to oregon i was still a senior in high school so well. <laughs> i mean does the guy not I, under, I appreciate his love of college life and college sports but does he not have a desire like to go on and make a you know, get out and make a living somewhere doing something? I don't know about y'all, but like, I love the movie Van Wilder and this is a better story than that. So I, I don't know. Like this is, this is, this is something else. It's, it's crazy. You wrote a story this week. i let you kind of give us the highlights so folks can look it up. Uh, headline college football, the cost of winning a story on the finances of national title winners in the four team era as the CFP heads towards a 12-team model next fall. What's the gist of the story? Yeah, I think the basic gist was, you know, I looked at a lot of financial numbers for kind of what it cost, in so many words, to to win a national title in 20, you know, in the four-team playoff era. And I think that, you know, the schools that were spending the most money, generally speaking, and certainly the schools that have the most resources, uh, as NIL has become a thing and all of that, uh, have been the schools that are hoisting trophies. And I think that's not a secret necessarily, right? But I think it was a nice way to put sort of numbers to some of these things and see what schools were spending. Um, you know, there's a big chunk of that story that's about Clemson. And I think Clemson's a really interesting case study just because, you know, their spending on football climbed a ton during that span. Uh, and frankly, the school was bringing in money and revenues were, were brought in and, and jumped. I think if I, I, I have the numbers roughly, I think it was like 150% over the course of the 10 years of the 14 playoffs. So some of that's a product of just growing, you know, grow, money growing in college sports naturally, but also a fact of Clemson was winning, so more money is coming in. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's an interesting way to just look at how schools were spending money. Um, over that span and, and sort of what went into, you know, these are the teams that are winning national titles. Here's what those, that money looks like. Uh, and certainly some interesting insight from some of the folks at some of the NIL collectives involved in, 
uh, at those certain schools as well that I thought was some, some, some interesting insight on how those things have operated and worked, uh, Michigan being one of them, and, and I thought had some really interesting points to, to make there. Absolutely. I just uh, retweeted it for you so our followers can go uh, look at it and, and possibly read it if they subscribe to the SBJ. What's ahead for you this week? Hopefully some rest. I think uh, after after some time from uh, after some time in Houston and and Phoenix, I'm uh, very happy to uh, sleep in my own bed for a few days, maybe play some golf and uh, and catch a catch a day off here, maybe one of these days. But uh, nothing too crazy. Obviously, lots going on on the horizon with uh, court cases and NIL hearings and all that. So there will be uh, there will be plenty down the pipe, but ready to uh, ready to catch my breath a little bit here. Well, you deserve it, man. Enjoy, and we'll catch you next week. We appreciate you. Appreciate y'all. Thanks for having me. Always fun. Same here. Ben Portnoy, the Port Authority, with us here on Sports Talk. Okay, after the break, we'll come back with the recruiting report tonight. A lot of that. Boy, the Gamecocks were handing out offers today like cotton candy. So we'll go over all that, talk about another player South Carolina has some pretty strong interest in. Dabo Sweeney made a couple of appearances or more. In front of the cameras, we'll tell you about that coming up. Update basketball, update the golf as well. Excuse me, as well. So we'll be back after this break on Sports Talk. Don't go away. We're with Major Billy Downer of the Department of Natural Resources. Major Downer, it's hunting season in South Carolina this fall, and folks need to be prepared from a legal standpoint. That's right, Phil. Everyone always needs to buy their hunting license or fishing license. Everyone always worries about losing their license. Well, now that's not a problem anymore because you can keep your license on your phone. That's right. Go Outdoors SC. It's an app. Look for it on your Apple or Android devices. You can buy your license. You can renew your boat registration, and it's all right there on your phone. Remember, Go Outdoors SC in your app store. I'm attorney Jim Corbett. That's the sound of a big hit on you and your car or truck. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years, helping people who get injured in car wrecks and truck wrecks. If you have serious injuries, call Jim Corbett, 803-765-2968, or email me at jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T. I don't get paid unless I recover for you. Jim Corbett Attorney, for your best recovery from a big hit, 803-765-2968, or jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. You've put in the work for your education. The extra early, extra late, extra, extra work. That's because you understand education opens doors to better pay, better opportunities, and a better you. Being educated about playing the lottery is no different. It helps you be a better player, one who knows when to play and when to take a rain check. The lottery's a game, so let's keep it fun. Learn more at sceducationlottery.com slash better you. George Bryant here with Tsunami Bar Sports, and wow, Tsunami Robbie, there is now an amazing technology that you can use when you train, receiving large gain without having to endure pain. Please explain. George, that is the magic combination. I have three simple words to define that entire concept. Stimulation, not annihilation. Regardless of your training goals, there is a level of stimulation 
that is optimal for your desired gains. Tsunami Bar's flexible bar technology meets these demands because the user determines the level of stimulation with the amount of speed and force they impart into the bar or training device. Hey, this is Phil Kornblut. The Tsunami Bar is a terrific training device whether you're working on your fitness or your golf game. It's convenient, it's easy to use, and you won't feel beat up afterwards. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait. Order today. Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, health care, restaurants, travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives, and as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. All right, recruiting time on Sports Talk, but first, it's eating time on Sports Talk as we set the table for a big day tomorrow at Seawells. For those of you who maybe don't catch us every night, don't know what we're talking about, Seawells Catering on Rosewood Drive in Columbia across the state fairgrounds. They do a daily luncheon buffet Monday through Friday from 11 till 2. It's only $14. Every day is special. But Fridays are extra special, Pat. Roast Beef Friday, shout out Andy. Tomorrow at Seawells with carved roasted sirloin of beef along with southern fried chicken and shrimp Alfredo. Quite the mix, quite the assortment there. Hey, go wild. Put a little gravy on your chicken, on your beef, maybe even on your shrimp Alfredo. I don't know. It's probably good. And then don't forget also at Seawells, all your local farm fresh veggies, salad bar, and dessert. Yeah, you better go eat Friday because it's supposed to be so cold on Saturday we're all going to die. So you better get your last meal in on Friday before it's too late. And boy, what a what a menu. Roast beef, delish. Fried chicken, delish. And shrimp what? Shrimp Alfredo. Oh, my goodness. Take my breath away. Beef, chicken, seafood, quite a trio. You will come out of there healthy and wealthy because it's not going to cost you a lot. So make sure you get there for that. And, of course, you got something coming up. That requires the best in the catering business. Just make that call to Seawells at 803-771-7385. All right, in recruiting, when James Coley came from A&M to South Carolina, of course he brought his little black book with him. And one guy in that black book, receiver Philip Wright, 61180, of Destrahan, Louisiana. He is a flash on the track as well, one of the fastest players in Louisiana. Coley was recruiting him for A&M, and then he said when he got to South Carolina, Coley contacted him, and he showed his coaches his film, and they loved his film as well. And so they just they want him to come to South Carolina. They obviously are going to be recruiting him pretty hard. He's involved with indoor track right now, so the earliest he could visit South Carolina would be March. He plans to make that visit and also won during the football season. He also wants to visit Michigan, LSU, Texas A&M, and Miami. He said Michigan and South Carolina would be his top two right now. He said those are standing out to him 
with the coaches hitting him up and showing that they are interested in him and they like his speed, that he can catch the ball, and that he's not a selfish player because he likes to block as well. And he said one thing he does know about South Carolina is Nick Harbor, and he said he'd love to go head-to-head 100 meters with him. Uh, Wright has run a 10-5-9 in the 100 meters and a 21-4-1 in the 200 meters. I mentioned South Carolina handed out a bunch of offers today. Those went to receiver Brian Rowe, Concord, North Carolina, running back Isaiah West of Logan Township, New Jersey, linebacker Xavion Griffin-Haynes of Raleigh, then in the 26th class, defensive back Hakeem Satterwhite of Washington, linebacker Shadarius Tootle, I just had to put it that way, Shadarius Tootle of Mobile, Alabama, defensive end Rodney Dunham of Charlotte, cornerback Sean Johnson, Severn, Maryland, and linebacker, you'll love this, Pat, you ready? Linebacker Wait. Thomas Davis Jr. Ooh, all right. Of Weddington, North Carolina, 62205. He is the son of Panther legend Thomas Davis. Out of Georgia. Ooh. I remember watching him at Georgia. He was the hardest hitter in college football when he was at Georgia. And he, he had a motor awesome. that just never ended, it seemed like. That guy awesome. had energy first quarter, fourth quarter, never slowed down. I think he's from down in Thomasville, Georgia, South Georgia somewhere. Awesome. Clemson target 2026 defensive end Tyler Atkinson, Loganville, Georgia, offered by Southern Cal. Clemson USC target defensive end Isaiah Gibson, offered by NC State. USC and Clemson target defensive tackle Elijah Griffin, expected to visit Florida Saturday. Dabo Sweeney of Clemson today was at a number of different spots, including to see defensive end Bryce Davis of Greensboro, North Carolina, and safety Jordan Young of Monroe, North Carolina. Heathwood Hall, cornerback Onus Conansbany, was offered by Coastal, Alabama. Landed a commitment from Washington freshman quarterback transfer Austin Mack. Alabama signee Jameer Grimsley is going into the portal. Alabama true freshman offensive lineman Caden Proctor is going into the portal. He was an All-SEC freshman team member this year. Offensive lineman Carter Rempf of Camden, son of the Bulldogs head coach, committed to Newberry. Wide receiver Malik Clark of Rock Hill was offered by Duke. And 2026 cornerback Jazavian Currents of South Point, offered by Georgia Tech and Tennessee. There you go, recruiting tonight on Sports Talk. Check it out regularly on our website, sportstalksc.com, on Twitter, Use the hashtag STRecruiting, actually on X, formerly known as Twitter, to take you right to it. All right, let me update what's happening out in the golf world. They are playing out in California. They are playing the uh, they're playing the American Express card. Don't leave home without it. They are playing the American Express uh, in La Quinta. California. And right now, your leader would be Zach Johnson at 10 under after a 62 and Alex Noren after a 62. Then you've got Rico Hoey and Christian Bazudenhout at 9 under and Scott Stallings at 8 under, Xander Shoffley, Hayden Springer, Patrick Canley, Siwoo Kim, Chan Kim, and Justin Lauer and Nick Dunlap. They are all at 8-under 
Very tight leaderboard. Also, Justin Thomas, 7-under, 65. Scotty Scheffler, 5-under, 67. Matt Neesmith, 5-under, 67. Bill Haas, 4-under, 68. Ben Martin, 4-under, 68. Uh, Will Zalatoris is at 4-under. Carson Young is at 2-under, 70. Ricky Fowler is at 2-under. Andrew Novak, even par 72. Michael Block, even par 72. Kevin Kisner, plus 274. Also in the world of golf, Bernhard Longer announced this will be his final Masters coming up. Two-time winner in Augusta. Got to play one more round, one more competitive round, and then call it a career there. Winthrop leading Asheville 43-36. Towson over Charleston 38-36. Georgia Southern 34, Coastal 33. All right. Appreciate you being with us tonight. Have a great night. A big Friday night for you tomorrow night. Thank you, Pat. And we shall see you tomorrow night right back here on Sports Talk. Have a great night.